Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. My name's Kyle Bird, and with me is Matt Parmley. Uh, and Matt, uh, we have a special guest today, a returning guest. Uh, would you do the honors and introduce him? Yeah, so we have Mr. John LeMay, who actually appeared on our podcast previously. Previously, Gosh, can't even talk today. Um, and John, why don't you say hi? What's up, guys? I've, I've missed you since I saw you at G-Fest. It's already been like a, a month or more, hasn't it? It's a little more than a month, but it feels like a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. Man, time flies. How you feeling tonight, John? I am so excited. I have been like so excited about this since like the last time I was on here and we talked about it. And like I don't know like how you guys usually do this, but like I've got it queued up. And like are how do you guys do this? Do you do we all play the movie together? Wait, what and, like what is we that watch it? <laughs> what is that well the that's background? the that's the movie. Are you in a we, remember last time I was on we said that we were gonna we were all gonna watch Legend of the Dinosaurs? And we were gonna do like a like a commentary track or something. That was tonight, right, John? We know we know you love that movie, uh, but that that's not what we're doing today. Oh, what? It sounds like you're stuck in a James Bond movie right now with that so- that crazy seventies uh, music going on back there. Yeah, yeah, it's the the opening title song to 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 Legend. Well, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, you're gonna turn turn the film off. Oh, okay. Uh, we're, we're gonna put a okay. pin in that. Hold, hold on, let me do that. Okay. No, that, that's that's cool. We can do it next time. Um, you know, next time I'm on. We'll, yeah, that's cool. Oh, he, man, he sounds so sad. He does sound so sad. <laughs> you know, John, it's uh, it's all right because from what I understand, you have a new book out, and we'd like to talk to you about this book that that you've put out called "The Terror of the Lost Tokusatsu Films." Do you recall? writing this book at all oh no that's cool we can talk about that too that's that'll be fun too um yeah it just came out last uh june and it is the official sequel to the lost films ah see i remember the lost films may i remember the lost films i do i do and that's what we had you on here last year talking about that so of course you know this is what makes sense for for today we'll we'll get to your dinosaurs it's all right so the terror. Of he really the lo- does sound so sad. I know he's he just sounds heartbroken. <laughs> well, you know, you get queued up for something, and you do the research, and then you you go on, and you find out you're talking about something totally different. But like I said, it's it's cool. I, I can always talk about one of my books. <laughs> uh, well, good. That's the agenda for today. Um, so uh, yes, as you said, this is the. Uh, um sequel of sorts to the lost films um for people who don't know john wrote uh the big book of japanese giant monsters the lost films which came out last year which was a big uh um catalog of all of these unmade uh scripts or ideas that uh toho and other companies had for godzilla and gamera movies etc etc it's a good read um and he also did the Big Book of Japanese Giant Monsters, Volumes 1 and 2, which are nice little uh, uh, review guides that I would recommend to anyone who is, um, you know, just getting introduced to these movies. So, 
This one takes a little bit of a turn, and we're not talking about kaiju movies in this book. Um, so, for those who are unfamiliar with with this book, what? How would you describe uh, describe this one? So it, it's called Terror of the Lost Tokusatsu Films for a reason, and Tokusatsu is just the Japanese word for special effects. So the gist of this book is it's Japanese special effects movies that either are very rare and haven't been released to the United States, or they were never made to begin with, such as uh, Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor. So same concept as the la- the last book, only there's no giant monsters. Okay. So, um, I, I guess start at the beginning and what, so you put out the lost films, what, what prompts you to write this follow-up? When I was reading through that Toho Tokusatsu unpublished works, they had a few scripts that actually quite a few scripts that just didn't have giant monsters in them. They had Frankenstein versus the human vapor. They had the Flying Battleship, which is kind of like a, a spiritual sequel to Atragon, same type of film. Uh, and they had, uh, what was it called? Oh, uh, The Human Torch from 1974, which evolved into Invisible Man versus The Human Torch. And both of those films, unfortunately, got canceled. And um, they were actually really interesting scripts, um, even though I'm not really much into the... Uh, Toho mutant human films like the H-Man. I'm, I'm not just a big fan of those, but even though I'm not, I really enjoyed the script for like Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor and the Human Torch was going to be like the 1970s equivalent of the H-Man and Secret of the Telegian and all that. Yeah, some of those are... are we'll get into some, some different titles, mm. but yeah, a lot of those are, are pretty insane. Um so at this point, I think uh, your mo is has been kind of going and finding these information about these movies that never happened, uh, scripts that were written and never shot, or um, even just ideas that were batted around in a writer's room once upon a time. Uh, what what is it about that subject matter that has made you so obsessed that you? Just keep writing these books. Well, I think Colin McMahon, who wrote the foreword for this book, he and I both really agree that it's about that sense of discovery. Because when I think when all of us were kids, because we're on that same uh, age range, there was a time when we would walk into like Suncoast Home Video, and you didn't know what you would find on the shelf because it was actually like pre-internet. I didn't know the names of all the Toho movies ever made. So theoretically, when I walked in there, I could discover a movie that I had never, ever seen before. And, you know, that sense of discovery is gone. So I think for me, it's just about recapturing that, you know, what, mm-hmm. even though these movies don't exist, it's kind of the same thing, you know, what could have been and, you know, just that same feeling. Yeah, that's kind of why I like uh, learning about this stuff and also why, um, like, uh, well, you, you've you read, uh, we just had... Kevin Derendorf on. You read his book, right? Kaiju for Hipsters? Oh, I, I love Kevin's book. I like I have learned like so much from it. And you know, typically anymore when I read these books, it's um a lot of people do those review books kind of like what I did, and, you know, there's not really any new information, but Kevin's book is just like jam-packed of all sorts of stuff that I just I had no idea yeah. existed. And and the thing about that is it it brings back that feeling of discovery we were just talking about. I remember reading like um you know, I'm, when I'm like in elementary school reading, you know, the 
stuff that like uh, Ed G would put out the Godzilla Encyclopedia or like uh, Stuart Galbraith's books, which went mm-hmm. outside of Godzilla and Gamera and Kaiju and just did all, all kinds of fantasy and horror. And so like I would like memorize some of these titles and go to the video stores and look for them and you know it's it's so much easier to just find things you know that having like something like that it brings back that that whole sense of discovering something and it's it's uh I don't know. It's it's very nostalgic for me. Um Matt, you're you're a little newer to a lot of the stuff that goes outside of Godzilla. What since you're a little bit newer, I I just wonder if if you retain any of that or if it's all just new. Well, since I've been like marathoning a lot of stuff, what I do like finding out after the fact is kind of the genesis of how okay, I can see ideas for this movie got turned into this movie and just seeing how things come about. I find the whole process of writing scripts and making changes and just filmmaking in general, especially when it comes to tokusatsu, just very fascinating in general. So for me, it's just going back and kind of learning how all this stuff is done and then seeing, oh, hey, they clearly took this idea from this particular script. And, you know, um, that's what I particularly find fascinating. Yeah. Um, now, this book is... It's a little bit of a combination of the big books of Japanese giant monsters and the lost films in that it's broken up into two parts. One is lost films, and then the other is um, rare films or movies that never, either never made it to the United States at all, or you know never made it to um, DVD, Blu-ray. Um, I think a few of them made it to VHS once upon a time. Um, what made you decide to take that approach to this book as opposed to doing all lost films or another big book of reviews or et cetera, et cetera? Essentially, if I had only stuck to just the unproduced scripts, it would have only been like a 100-page book, yeah. which I kind of feel like is a little too small, kind of like a 64-minute you know, quote-unquote feature film. You know, like I, mean, I feel like a book needs to be – yeah. <laughs> And I didn't want that. And um, I think what was kind of the gateway to including these other films was um, Fearful Attack of the Flying Saucers from 1956, which is kind of still lost. They recently found a, a film reel of it, and they're restoring it. But it was basically a completed lost film. And from that, I just got to thinking, you know, if I'm going to include that why not include um, what we could kind of call lost films in America, which is just these Japanese tokusatsu films that were never released here, like Invisible Man versus the Human Fly from Dai in 1957. Um, the Whale God, also from Dai in 1962, never been released here, um, which really surprises me. I would think it would get like a Criterion release at some mm-hmm. point. And also Blue Christmas uh, from 1978. Which, and actually... I want to let people know, uh, thank you, Bird, because you actually got me uh, the copies of these movies to view. So without you, <laughs> I would have never seen them. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, we're all indebted to the fan subbers that do the hard work because, you know, realistically, a lot of companies probably realize, hey, these aren't going to move a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays, and that's a market that's already in the gutter. But um but yeah, I mean, there's still so much stuff that even that community hasn't touched, like um, 
Horror of the Wolf, the Toho uh, werewolf movie, um, which I would hope, because like right around the time this book came out, Arrow Video did a, a really good set for the Bloodthirsty trilogy, um, and they also put out the Toei Wolf Guy movie with Sonny Chiba, so hopefully, I mean, that means, hey, there is a future for these movies to come out in the West. Yeah, and I, I actually, even without subtitles, I really enjoyed Horror of the Wolf, but I can definitely see why that movie never got released here, even on VHS, just because there's so much blood and so much nudity that if you tried to edit it out, you would actually edit out a bunch of the story points, you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I think that's why they never bothered with it. It seems like the time that would have come out is like... Uh like when Media Blasters was putting out like every Japanese movie ever. Yeah. Assumed. But yeah, that's why I'm hoping uh, Arrow or, or someone can get into it. I mean, and I mean, you could say that for like any of these titles. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, so for the unmade film section, um, how long did it take you to research these these? projects is this all stuff that you did at the same time as the last book or did you finish that book and say okay i'm gonna go back and and re retrace my steps to cover um some of these other titles i stumbled upon yeah basically i was so excited to get the lost films you know the giant the giant monster version out there I didn't want to take the time to, you know, sift through Frankenstein versus the human vapor and all those, the human sized monsters. And that's what kind of got me to thinking, well, you know, that could be a separate book. And so, yeah, I did the giant monster scripts first. I finished, you know, the lost films. And then once that was out there, I started work on this one. Yeah. Um, you, I know you've mentioned, and you mentioned in the book a few times, the Toho Tokusatsu unpublished works. Is that what the book's called? Yep, that's correct. Um, where it was besides that, um, were there any other sources that were especially valuable in finding a lot of this stuff? Yes. So another Toho Lost project, and I only know about this from Toho Kingdom. It's called um, Enter Ice Age Four. What's really cool about that is it's based on a novel, and the novel was actually translated into English. So I just bought the novel, read that, and then based all my information off of that because. You know, presumably they would have been pretty similar. Um, very far out story about um, people that are genetically engineered to live underwater um, in the event that Japan gets uh, sunk, just like in Japan sinks. And it's it's crazy how it interweaves all of these different elements in there, but it actually works. So if you like Japanese tokusatsu, um, you can definitely find Inner Ice Age 4 on Amazon somewhere, you know, use copy, so. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> I, there are some key titles I want to get into, you know, I mean, not everything, because, you know, hopefully people will buy the book, but I'm, I'm going to skip right there to Inner Ice Age 4, because all of these uh, are relatively insane concepts, but that's the one that was my favorite of the bunch. Um because you have, yeah, you have a organization turning people into essentially like fish people, <laughs> um, and then you have the uh, uh, the the hero. Is it his brain gets put into a computer? 
Yes, it's a supercomputer, and it seems like such a disconnect that these two concepts meet up, but they actually meet up very well at the end of the book, because it sounds like they just don't match, but they actually do, and the, the twist ending is that, um, yes, he did input his brain into this computer, and his employees and his subjects all begin taking orders from the computer behind his back, and the computer, which is like his own mind, uh, declares that he needs to be killed, and it's like quite the uh, twist ending. No, it's <laughs> it's it's really insane, and I I would have loved to seen that. Uh, it would have been um, like I'm just imagining how they would have pulled off some of the effects. Um, uh, around the same time, Toei did the movie Terror Beneath the Sea. Did you see that with Sonny Chiba yeah. and uh, yeah, Peggy Neal? That was also about, like, people being, like, that was also about, like, fish people. Um, so, yeah, I, like, that's kind of what pops into my head when I think of how these creatures would have been made. But, yeah, it has that bleak kind of ending that I feel like it was, it was a little, it became more common in the 70s. But, um, yeah, almost like the kind of paranoid movies that were coming out here in the 70s, like the Parallax View and stuff like that um no that that one was really particularly fascinating to me um matt did you have any titles you wanted to to talk about as far as the unproduced movies i mean i have three that kind of stuck out um japanese apache which sound just like a dystopian japanese nightmare um you have the Adam of the Stars, which is interesting because there's basically kind of the last warish where the world gets annihilated by nuclear weapons and people get rocketed into outer space to start life anew. And like that's just a insane concept. And I actually really love um, Japan Sinks, and so like the idea of seeing a continuation would be pretty awesome. And I had no idea. I don't think I remember talking about the uh, the TV show, so that was kind of a new tidbit for me. Yeah, so John, wh- why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Japanese Apache and um, uh, what was it, Adam of the Stars? Yeah, Adam of the Stars. What, what's funny, um, Matt, is you've actually listed three different uh, Sakio Komatsu. They were all they all came from the novelist Sakio Komatsu, who wrote Submersion of Japan. And Japanese Apache, I believe, was one of his very first uh, sci-fi novels. And it's again, it's another uh, dystopian future in Japan, and it's really crazy. Um, I assume the translation I'm missing a little something, but there's these people that have been thrown outside of the normal Japanese society, and they begin eating metal. That's what I seem to remember about. They they eat metal, and their skin takes on the characteristics of metal, and somehow they survive and become this, uh, you know, basically like Native Americans who live out in the wild, but. What gets me about about the film version, you know, I get the impression that this is a really serious story, and I'm reading about it, and it says uh, the people they wanted to cast were the Crazy Cats uh, comedy group. And I thought, surely I'm getting that wrong. Surely they just mean some of the people from the acting troupe, but not the Crazy Cats themselves. But I really dug into it, and apparently it was going to be the Crazy Cats. So I can't figure out... (laughs) <laughs> if Toho was going to film a comedy version of this very serious story, I have no yeah, idea. Because the way that sounds is like <laughs> if if Cheech and Chong starred in Escape from New York or something. Oh <laughs> yeah. my god, that, I want to see that right Which now. would be awesome. 
Now, Adam, Adam of the Stars is probably a good one to ask um, Kevin, Kevin Derendorf about because he's so good about finding these these mangas. And if I understand it right, Adam of the Stars was actually turned into a manga. So maybe Kevin can find that and shed some more life, light on it. But yeah, like you said, Matt, it's just about people that escaped the Earth, I think, during World War Three, and they settle on a new planet. And that's, that's why it's called Adam, as in Adam of the Bible and Adam and Eve, I guess, starting a, a new world on this planet. Yeah, I... I- if you're going to go like bonkers tokusatsu stuff that doesn't feature giant monsters, like give me something like prophecies of Nostradamus where it's just insane. And you get these like dystopian futuristic crazy stuff where you can do really bizarre things with the story. I find that stuff really fascinating. So like this story actually grabbed my attention. This is probably the one that I would be the most interested in. Yeah. And I mean, we have to talk about, probably the one that's most well known and that's Frankenstein versus the human vapor which a i mean the human vapor is one of my favorite toho films um and uh you know i mean i'm a fan of all shades of frankenstein whether it's universal toho mm-hmm. hammer and beyond uh and the this one just sounds especially kooky uh <laughs> So, John, why don't you break down a little bit of what we would have gotten in Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor? Okay, so as you know, at the end of the the Japanese version of the Human Vapor, Mizuno dies and so does Fujichio. But here's something interesting: the American version of the Human Vapor, they change, they uh, they include this narration by Mizuno, where he lives. Uh, have you guys both seen the American cut of Human Vapor? Uh, I have. Yeah, okay. I, I, yeah, I've just stuck to the Japanese version when I watched it. So the reason why I brought that up is actually it, it's thought that the American distributor of the Human Vapor really liked it, and they wanted a sequel, and they actually pitched the idea of Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor to Toho. And I think that's why they basically rewrote the ending where Mizuno lives is they, they really thought the sequel was going to happen. and um, But anyways, uh, Shinichi Sekizawa, he actually did write the screenplay for that, which I think is kind of odd because uh, Takeshi Kimura actually wrote Human Vapor, so I think it's oh, yeah. it's odd that they switched writers. Yeah, Kimura is all over <laughs> the Human Vapor. So uh, in this script, uh, Mizuno, he, he survived. And Fujichio, that his dancer uh, love interest, she did not. Because for people who haven't seen the film, it ends with Mizuno, the gas man, and his his lover Fujichio, a, a dancer, in this theater that explodes and it kills both of them. So the the gist of this story is that Mizuno has somehow found a disciple of Doctor Frankenstein, and he tracks him down. And this disciple of Doctor Frankenstein, his name is Doctor Gildor. He has revived the Frankenstein monster. And what's really interesting about this iteration of the Frankenstein monster is he's actually very intelligent. He's he not jumps a out of a brute. helicopter or something at some out point. Out of an airplane. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that was another one. I was like, am I reading this right? And I, I did it several different ways, and that seems to be the case. Um, so, yeah, so what happens is uh, Mizuno manages to convince this Dr. Gildor to help him revive Fujichio. And he he goes to Hong Kong. That's where Dr. Gildor lives. So Dr. Gildor, uh, Mizuno, and the Frankenstein monster are, are flying back to Japan on this commercial airliner. And the Frankenstein monster is like, 
down below in a crate in the baggage claim. And they have this this worry that they're going to get arrested when the plane lands, so they, they decide to parachute out of the airplane. And it's so crazy because uh, Mizuno and Frankenstein actually do parachute out of the airplane. And Dr. Gildor gets shot and killed. So when Mizuno and, and the Frankenstein monster return to Japan, uh, the monster is actually intelligent enough to guide Mizuno um, through Dr. Frankenstein's original experiments. And they dig up Fujichio. They actually manage to revive her from the dead. And um, it's kind of, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, why even bother? Because the end of the movie is just like one of the universal Frankenstein movies where Mizuno, Frankenstein, and the revived Fuji Chio all sink into quicksand and die. So it's like, oh, we went to all this trouble to revive these characters and then they well, die it, again. It sounds like it gets into uh, Bride of Frankenstein territory a little bit. Yes. With um, him wanting to revive yeah. the... the the his his girlfriend and all that and frankenstein once uh fuji chio is revived he he kind of feels a kinship with her and he develops i think kind of like an attraction to her and the monster he he wants to he wants to die again like that's kind of his wish and i think he thinks that well i should take fuji chio with me so that that's kind of what leads to the fight and the battle between he and mizuno the human vapor there's also a, uh, I guess, a, am I reading this right? Goro Maki makes an appearance, the character that ends up in uh, Son of Godzilla and later Godzilla 1984. Yeah, I'm so glad you, you brought that up because I, I want to know what Toho's infatuation is with this name because <laughs> Goro Maki is also in Shin Godzilla, yeah, right? Son of Godzilla, it was the reporter, or yeah. And then Godzilla yeah. 84 uh, was also the reporter. And then Shin Godzilla, it was the this great scientist who, you know, left behind the, the crazy origami schematic. And, um, yeah, Toho can't let go of this name. For and some this reason. is the first split. Yeah. This is the first in- instance of that name being used. And so then Sekizawa also wrote son of Godzilla. So he, he's apparently the one who resurrected the name. Yeah. Since they're both reporters, seems like the obvious genesis from one idea going into another film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of examples of that. Like um, you mentioned, the flying battleship, uh, which a lot of its DNA wound up in Mighty Jack, the Tsuburaya show. Like that is what's interesting about this is seeing how these ideas get incorporated into things later on. Um, one thing I don't remember if it was brought up at all uh, when we had you on last, but I know that we've talked about it, and it's in. Um, you have your uh, appendix that has, you know, some more unmade titles. But one thing that I think is really fascinating that I want you to talk about a little bit is uh, at one point, Goke, the body snatcher from hell, uh, the Shochiku movie, um, was going to be a TV series for P Productions, who did like Spectre Man and all those. And it was going to be filmed with puppets. That's correct. That's what the Japanese Wikipedia page says for for Goke. So I take their word for it. Um, Oh, but here's the other thing. Uh, My editor on the book, Ted Johnson, he actually has, um, I believe, like a trading card set. It has, um, they they actually designed the giant Goke monster because I think in the film too, I I guess we're kind of getting out of the scope. But um, once it became a film, if I'm not mistaken, 
the ending was going to have Goke turn into a giant multi-armed monster. And they designed it and they put a picture of this monster on a, a trading card for something. So apparently the idea got pretty far you know, into the development. But yeah, that's correct. Um, that's what I read was they were going to do this Goke TV series with puppets. So I, I don't know if it would have been like funny or like what their <laughs> slant was. Well, yeah, and that's, a, pre- that's a pretty dark movie too. Yeah. yeah, it's already. <laughs> I think the darkness though came from when when they brought on uh, Hajime Sato. Right, right. I, th- I think he's the one who kind of maybe veered it into a darker direction. That's it's really strange. You got to send us uh, the the picture of that that giant multi armed Goki monster because I, I I need to see that. Okay, um, I'll I'll ask Ted. <laughs> um, so I I think. At this point, I want to kind of go around the room. I, I think we kind of gave away our answers a little bit, but um, I want all of us to to pick one movie out of this uh, section with the unmade films, and if you could snap your fingers and that movie just materializes into existence, what would it be? Um, John, we'll save you for last since you're the guest. So, Matt, if you could pick one of these unmade movies... Which one would you like to see the most? Uh, since I'm sort of fascinated, weirdly, with uh, just nuclear weapons and stuff and the effects, like I really think Adam of the Stars would be interesting. But honestly, Japanese Apache with people eating metal and like becoming something different sounds really interesting. So it's one of those two I, I can't really pick. Yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of said earlier, Inner Ice Age 4. Um, Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor sounds like the one that you know, would be the most fun, but, uh, you know, I love those bleak sci-fi movies of the, the 60s and 70s, and, and it's got people being turned into fish monsters, so that's mine. <laughs> uh, John, what's your favorite out of the unmade movies that are covered here? So easily, hands down, uh, Invisible Man versus The Human Torch. Which is surprising because, like I said, I'm not really big on Toho's mutant human films, but that one I just really enjoyed. And I think the reason why actually is that you know it takes a long time to sort through these and translate them and try to figure out what they're they're trying to say through all the broken English. And I think what it is is as I read it, I listened to the soundtrack for Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye, which is like a 1970s crime noir film, and it, the soundtrack just really fit what I was reading. You know, kind of made it come alive for me. So. But it was a pretty well-written story with a lot of twists and turns and things I didn't anticipate, so that would be my pick. So you'd choose that over the the human, just the regular human torch that was pitched before that. So what's, yeah, and like, this is a good excuse to talk about the differences between those two films. So Invisible Man versus The Human Torch was written second. It was written after. Uh, it wasn't some sort of sequel. Um, and what's interesting is... Invisible Man versus Human Torch is science-based, but the Human Torch that preceded that just, you know, that was supernatural. And it was really more in line with the Bloodthirsty trilogy. It's set within an old gothic mansion, and the Human Torch in the title, um, he wasn't uh, transformed through science. He was actually basically a, a bastard child. And that the story is that his mother had an affair and that the, the wealthy father uh, lit her on fire. And after in her, in her remains, they find this baby 
and he grows up to be the human torch. And it's like a huge surprise reveal uh, midway through the script that that this uh, human torch character is actually the uh, the secret half brother of the uh, the main heroine. So it was really interesting. Yeah, I would have liked to see those, especially how they um, handle the effects. Yeah, the the effects. I don't know. Might have been whew, out of their grasp. <laughs> so that might 1970s. be that, that could be one of the reasons why <laughs> these movies. <laughs> Who knows? Don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, have you seen Pyrokinesis, the Kaneko? I have movie? not. Okay, that was his. Mm, no. That was his kind of homage to the mutant movies, but um, that that I was just reminded of that because it was about someone that can light things on fire. Um, it's pretty good though. Um, I think you can find the DVD re- relatively cheap. I think Matt I found Matt found it for like three bucks or something. <laughs> yeah, it was like six bucks, I think, off, off Amazon, and it's still it's still around. Yeah, it's a good Tokyo hmm. Shock. Uh, okay um disc so that's back when you know they'd have a lot of extras and stuff um so in addition to a lot of the main titles some of which we've talked about um there's way more um in the the first appendix of unproduced concepts and descriptions of those um am i correct in assuming that these are just films that you um just didn't have uh, as many um, pieces of information on that. So, you know, you just kind of gave them their own little moments in the back. That is correct. And some of them too, it's not even that there's not a lot of information. It's more like they were just ideas that let's say, um, Tomoyuki Tanaka had or somebody, but he never really fleshed it out into something, um, you know, that you could really get into, like, uh, Noboru Tsuburaya wanted to make a disaster movie. I thought that was interesting, and I included that in the appendix. Even though there's not a lot of information, you know, I feel like if, if he could have, he had the means that he would have done it. So I felt like it was worth including. But one that I want to touch upon is Tomoyuki Tanaka's The Time Machine, because Stan Hyde um, recently uh, found a lot of information on that. So where this comes from was uh, the Japanese Fantasy Film Journal reported in 1979 that George Powell was going to do a remake of The Time Machine with Toho, but thanks to... Uh, he had done the original st- version, too. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and thanks to Stan, um, it turns out it wasn't a remake. It was actually going to be the sequel, The Time Machine 2. And there's actually a whole novel by George Powell, if you find it, um, I can't remember the exact title, but just a Time Machine book by George Powell. And if you read that, that's basically what the uh, sequel would have been. And I didn't know that at the time I was doing this book. Otherwise, I would have included it. Yeah, but that's I, I news only, to me. Yeah. So, George Powell almost, uh, so, George Powell almost did a co-production with Toho. Yes. In the 70s. It, yeah, 1979. That's crazy. See, it's unfortunate that... that if if Eiji Tsuburaya was still around, that would have happened like, it, it, like at the drop of a hat. Because George Pell was like one of his heroes. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, I did not know that. So uh, I'm assuming you'll include that if you ever do uh, a revised edition. <laughs> you know what's great about that one is technically it has giant monsters in it um, because it has like these giant crabs and these giant bees. So I'm thinking about one day when I get around to doing the uh, revised edition of the giant monster lost films, I could actually probably include that if yeah. I want. 
No, I didn't know that. And I I saw Stan went crazy on Facebook a few weeks ago just posting time machine stuff everywhere. So I'm yeah. assuming that's that's when uh this this discovery was made. No, that's really yep. cool though. I would have liked to see that. Um So uh so the 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 second part of your book um I want to get into now this is when you get into um the rare uh, the rare films and um, uh, so these are movies that uh, either um, didn't get a US release or um, the US release happened to skip over the DVD Blu-ray generation or maybe even the VHS generation mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in terms of some stuff like um, some of the disaster films but uh, so I want to ask how did you decide, uh, I mean, because when you start getting into just Japanese sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, you know, outside of kaiju, I mean, you'll be writing a book for the rest of your life. So how did you um, narrow it down to, okay, these are the movies I want to cover? Basically what you just said, these are the movies I want to cover, because there's obviously like so many more that I could have done. And I kind of cheated a little bit, too, because you'll notice I included the Bloodthirsty Trilogy in there, even though two of them were actually released uh, to the U.S., um, just because I wanted to write about them, and I found out a lot of really cool information about them. You know, so it, it was basically, you could basically say this book is like my my love letter to all the non-Japanese giant monster movies that I like, like the Bloodthirsty Trilogy and just, just all of them. Um and I also included uh, a big write-up on eSpy, even though it was uh, released on VHS to the, to the U.S. Um, I ended up finding all of this really great production information about how it was almost made in 1967. So I felt like its inclusion was was justified because I could talk about its its origins because it was almost a lost film. Well, yeah, no, I didn't realize that that's one that went back so far. Yep, 1967, and um, the big reason they didn't make it was uh, Akiko Wakabayashi um, walked off of her contract with Toho, or it it came to an end, and she didn't renew, and they wanted her to be the star at the time, and then I think they just had a lot of other big productions, um, you know, lined up for 1967, and they just didn't have time for East By, and so they kind of put it on the back burner, they forgot about it, and then... uh, Yuri Geller came to Japan and like really got people interested in psychics. And also, Sakio Komatsu's uh, Japan Sinks was a huge hit, and Sakio Komatsu was actually the writer of Espy. So that's why in 1974 they finally got around to producing it. Yeah, no, that was, I had no idea about any of that. Um, so, uh, Lady Vampire is, is, covered in here and that's a shintoho uh horror film and that came out around the same time as like they had a whole bunch of horror movies um is there a reason why this one had a particular interest to you or why um i mean did you look into some of the other titles from that studio around the same time Basically, it's just as simple as, I hate to say it, this one showed up on YouTube subtitled, so I was actually able to watch it, whereas those other ones I don't see anywhere. Like, you'd have to buy them probably from Amazon Japan if they're even, I don't even know if Amazon Japan sells some of those old 
Shintoho movies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But um, but Lady Vampire, I kind of dreaded watching it because I thought it would be really boring. But I actually really ended up enjoying it. Um, I just it reminded me of an old Universal um, black and white vampire movie only in Japan. Yeah. Um. Well, there's definitely some interesting titles here. Um, you you kind of touch like some of the stuff I haven't seen. Like I haven't watched Whale God yet, but that is something that we plan to do at some point. Um, Invisible Swordsman. You've covered the uh, the Bloodthirsty trilogy, which actually we really enjoyed, and I think we did that for was it last Halloween? I can't. I, can't I think even it was remember the one before. I think it was the first yeah. Halloween we did. Um, SB SB's interesting. It's. Uh, it's one of those things where, like, I watch. It's, it's you can definitely tell it's a Fukuda film, um, but I I love there's a, the next section the disaster piece of it. Like you have like the Last War, which I really enjoy. Um, you have Submersion Submersion of Japan or AKA Japan Sings, which I mentioned before. Like those are the films that if you haven't seen, there's ways to, to see them, and, and you should check that out. And then uh, you know Prophecies of Nostradamus. Like there's so much. That film has, like, what, 12 versions, I feel like? There's so many different cuts of that movie. That movie is um, almost its own book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, that, that would be something to... And the ending of that is just insane. So those would be ones I, I think are worthy of mention. Well, let's talk I'm about the... Uh, Deathquake, by the way. I wanted to know more about Oh, Death yeah. Quake. Well, yeah, let's talk about the disaster movies, because uh, similar to, I guess, the mutant films, yeah, and the... There's a few in the 60s, but really in the 70s, and well, Deathquake's 1980, Toho really got uh, on a crazy hot streak on making these disaster movies. Like uh, in the US, we had like The Towering Inferno and uh, Poseidon Adventure and stuff like that. Uh, Over there, they had Submersion of Japan and Prophecies of Nostradamus and. and yeah, Deathquake. Conflagration. Yeah, Conflagration, yeah. which um, is another one that, for whatever reason, hasn't been had any kind of official or unofficial subtitle release. Um, but you you mentioned that there was a American version with uh, Western actors cut into it that was released on VHS. Is this is this correct? That is correct. Yeah. So, Conflagration uh, is about an oil tanker commandeered by pirates at sea, and they're going to ram this oil tanker into Tokyo Bay and just, you know, make everything explode. And uh, that was released in 1975. And in 1977, some company in the U.S. acquired it, and they actually shot new footage of Peter Graves that they inserted in there, and they called it High Seas Hijack. And I have it. I have High Seas Hijack. I just haven't watched it yet. So that's definitely something I plan on doing. Yeah, um, which would make that the only English-friendly version that I can think of. Because, like I said, Correct. I don't think so. I, as far as I know, there hasn't been a fan sub. Um, and then Deathquake's an interesting one because it came late in the game. You know, it it, it had come out. Geez, what is how how that's nineteen eighty. So that's like seven years after Submersion of Japan. Yeah, and it's basically, I mean, not a remake of Submersion of Japan, but it's just another earthquake movie. And it's its pretty well done, though. I enjoy it. Yeah, I actually just watched it for the first time a couple weeks ago. What was interesting was that you do mention um, 
that uh, Tanaka did a made-for-TV earthquake movie with Sonny Chiba um, called Earth- Great Tokyo Earthquake Magnitude 8.1. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea where to find that, but I'd like to see uh, it. Yeah, I was going to say, is that one that you were able to, to track down? Um, was that a Toho thing? Oh, gosh, it, maybe a Toho co-production yeah. with some TV network. I'd have to look. Yeah, no, I thought that was really interesting especially since it only predates deathquake by a year um yeah i assume there's more to the story as to why both of those were produced so closely together i just don't know what it is yet and then one that was interesting to me and maybe you can shed some light on this um was i think toho distributed it but it was not a toho movie and that was Tokyo Blackout, which was directed by Toshio Masuda and had effects by Nakano and was uh, another Komatsu uh, uh, property. But that was uh, Daie Katakawa. Is so. Talk a little bit about that. And was was were, Do you have any idea why to- that didn't go to Toho, especially with all the Toho staff? No, I have no clue. And all I know is that whenever it's released onto DVD, it's always through uh, Dai instead. Um, so I have no idea why they joined forces for that and why Toho just didn't do it themselves. So it's definitely a mystery. Um, I would assume it's one of those things where a smaller company like Dai, maybe they get exclusive rights to this novel, but they don't have the means to produce it. And so it's almost like Toho, the only way to produce it is if Toho does join forces with them, because maybe there's some sort of legality where they aren't able to make it themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing, but that, w- that would be my speculation on that. And then it was uh, composed by, the score was Maurice Jare, who did yeah. Dr. Zavaggio and Ghost. and Yeah, <laughs> and it's an awful score, too. It's horrible. I mean, well, it's not horrible, <laughs> but it's just... I I don't know. You almost get the impression this guy was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll score a Japanese movie as like a novelty or something. But it's just um, compared to like Masaru Sato's score for like Submersion of Japan, it's just it's awful. <laughs> it's just there's really nothing interesting about it, and the uh, movie's kind of hard to follow. Um, I've been told that the cloud, the alien cloud, descends on Tokyo to rescue a dog that's in trouble. That's what I'm told by someone who's seen this and, and understands Japanese. So, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like there's some weird stuff with that movie. I want to go back to the uh, the Last War for a second because you have another section, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, but there's like alternate versions of existing films, and and like the idea that the first draft actually identified the U.S. and Soviet Union pretty specifically, and obviously they changed that for the actual film and just kind of made it you know, the very vague and you couldn't, you could get an idea of who they were referring to, but it wasn't as explicitly mentioned, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. And another reason for that, um, in addition to just wanting to make it more palatable for international releases. So Toho was competing with Toei. Toei and Toho both wanted to adapt the same story that was all about World War III breaking out. And the problem was Toei actually got the rights first. And what happened was Toho um, wrote a script based off of the story. And uh, it was basically too similar to Toei's film. And that's why Toho was not able to beat Toei's The the Final War. 
So you've got the final war from Toei and the last war from Toho a year apart. Um, Toys is in black and white. Toho's is in color. And that's the only way Toho really beats them. Um, so really Toho had to work hard at making sure their script was different from Toei's script. Because uh, a big part of Toei's script was you had this nurse uh, who lives in Tokyo, and she won't evacuate the hospital because one of her patients can't evacuate. It's it's a sick uh, child, and she chooses to stay with the child when Tokyo is bombed by the you know the final the final war. And Toho's original script, uh, they also had that element where the the main female character was a nurse who refuses to leave, and they're like, no, that's too close to Toei's version, so we better better change that. And I think that's kind of where. Uh, the Last Wars kindergarten teacher, played by Yumi Shirakawa, comes in. Yeah, She's kind of like the nurse. She won't leave her kids in Tokyo. And so some of the elements carried through. They just changed little details to you know make it harder to, to figure out they were basically the same film. Yeah, and well, and then the, the Toei film is another one that was considered lost up until a year or two ago. Um, and I, I know that that one is out and about in the. Yeah, you can find it if you look very. Yeah. Quickly. Um, my issue. <laughs> it's is on. The, yeah, Internet Archive is where I found it, oh, and I don't yeah. know if it's still on there. Fan subbers, for the love of God, get the final war, um, and I mean that's one that I really want to see because I, I love the last war, and um, and yeah, I mean uh, Toei just found a print and started airing it on. TV, and I don't think it's got a actual DVD or Blu-ray release, but what's interesting is a lot of these movies are kind of coming out. Um, another one that just surfaced recently was, uh, it's not a tokusatsu movie, really, but uh, The Killing Bottle, which was a detective movie, and it was the uh, the third and, I think, final movie that Nick Adams did uh, with Toho. Um, so that's another one that I'm hoping, uh, you know, someone can can translate uh, and and get out there. Um, but speaking of which, another title I want to bring up, and uh, we kind of talked about it earlier, that was also almost a lost film. Uh, we mentioned earlier, Fearful Attack of the Flying Saucers, which is, uh, well, that's another Shintoho title, and that's the only, I think, am I correct? And that's the only thing that Shinichi Sekizawa was actually the director I actually think he might have directed a few more non-tokusatsu movies. Um, I can check that pretty quick. But yeah, that's the only big tokusatsu movie that he mm -hmm. ever directed. And that was another one that was thought to be lost until very recently. Talk a little bit about that, just um, especially because this is Sekizawa going outside of Toho and doing, I don't know, a similar kind of alien invasion movie to what they were doing or what... Or something like Earth vs. the Flying Saucers. Um, yeah, so basically it was before he ever joined up with Toho. And just and also to answer your question, I found what I was looking for. That was the only film he ever directed, but he before he directed that film, he was the producer on about two or three other movies. So he did a lot of other things apparently besides just writing scripts. And as time went by, that's all he did. He just became a scriptwriter. But he started out apparently doing a little bit of everything. But yeah, uh, Fearful Attack of the Flying Saucers was uh, inspired by Earth versus the Flying Saucers, which came out the same year, I believe, uh, 1956. And um, 
What's really okay? What I really like about that movie is there's no copyright problems because Shin Toho isn't around anymore. And if you look at my <laughs> book, the cover, <laughs> the cover is actually the the alien robot from that movie, which my, my friend Shane Olive did like a, a mock-up poster of the Japanese movie, and uh, the back cover is made to look like a VHS mock-up. So you've got like an image from the movie on it, and so you know, hopefully, I don't have any trouble, but. You know, like I said, Shinto doesn't exist anymore, so I don't see why I would. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's another one. Um, yeah, hopefully someone will translate it. Um, yeah, and it hasn't somewhere. even come out in Japan yet, but the the MOOC, the you know, magazine slash book, a MOOC uh, called Tokusatsu Haiho, they're the ones who reported that someone had found it and they're currently working to restore it for a home video release. So, oh, so maybe okay. that'll that'll be the person that sues me. We'll <laughs> see. Um, okay, no, I I think I was getting that mixed up with the Final War a little bit. So this uh, no one's actually seen it yet. It's just there. No, huh? someone is doing the Lord's work and just reassembling it and getting it. You know, to that's to, correct. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, and then um, so there's a few more interesting titles. Um, you have the Toho and Daie um, Invisible Man films. Um, uh, the Daie original was 1949, and that was uh, one of Tsuburaya's first films. And then um, he did the Toho version in 1954, which is now everyone calls it an Invisible Avenger. I'm not... Did were you able to figure out why that happened? Because I I feel like no one said that until like a year ago. Yeah, I don't know. And the only reason I even do it is just to kind of differentiate yeah. it, and it's easier to keep track um, of it that way. That's one that was recently got a fan sub after all these years. Um, and then uh, there was another die oh, one. Before we change subjects, I, I just want to throw it out there that. Um, you know, everybody loves these DVD collector box sets from, you know, from uh, Kodansha. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say that uh, Invisible Man, Invisible Avenger is slated to be the final DVD collector box, uh, okay. actually. How so. many of those are there? I thought there were like 57 so, coming out. Yeah, I'm wrong. yeah pro they're probably like, I think it ends at like 62 or something like that. But I hope they extend it because... Yeah. The thing about those collector boxes is there's actually a lot of movies they haven't done yet. Like, they didn't do one for War in Space. They didn't do it for... Well, I think they're doing Latitude Zero. I think that's coming up. But So I, I kind of hope they keep it going. Yeah, and um, are they doing... I think, are they doing stuff like the Crazy Cats, Big Adventure, and some of the stuff that, like, nobody ever talks about? They are not. Okay. Well, they should. <laughs> they should yeah um, they, they are doing birth of japan which i find okay, surprising yeah, the, so that's cool okay yeah the three treasures uh um but yeah and then you have invisible man versus the human fly uh which was uh 57 die uh film um one that i thought was interesting was uh baruba which is um I guess the Japanese equivalent to Tarzan, and the, they made a Daie made a movie of that in the fifties too. Yeah, that's one of those that I probably shouldn't have included, but I'm kind of a Tarzan fan, and I just couldn't resist like 
the die version of Tarzan, and when am I ever going to get a chance to write about that? So I was like, you know, I'm going to throw that in there. No, why not? I didn't even know it existed. So Yeah, <laughs> and it was filmed on the same uh, MGM Tarzan lot. They actually came to America to film a lot of it, so that was definitely interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of, but I mean, that's the kind of thing that I'd like to see more people talk about, because I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Maybe this was alluded to earlier when we asked, but um, the other appendix in the back is uh, you have an appendix for um, even more uh, rare uh, Japanese uh, special effects movies. Um, is there a reason why some of these wound up back there and not in the primary text? Basically, just because I haven't seen them yet, and I did get a few of them. Um, I, th I think I've acquired Ghost Train, uh, Iron Claw. Um, I did see because it's on YouTube. I saw what is it called? It's a die movie. Um, it's a die samurai movie. The, the Ogre of Mount. Oh Oi. yes, that's yes. on YouTube, and yes, I saw yes. that. It was very good, and it was just at the time I hadn't seen it yet. Um, yeah, basically it just came down, I, I hadn't seen them, and there wasn't a lot of information mm -hmm. available on them outside of that. Um, and then, uh, well, the Rainbow Man has uh, a translation out now. I mm, did okay. stumble upon that at some point, so I'll have to... I would like, yeah, I'd like to ask whoever that. did it, why did you do that and not, like, <laughs> Horror of the Wolf? <laughs> I know, I want to ask everyone that s fan, fan subs anything that because Horror of the Wolf is another one I've been waiting for for years. But uh, Rainbow Man, I think, is the first credit for Tsuburaya as effects director, at least as far as like you know sci-fi genre stuff goes. I think so. I don't know. Maybe they just felt uh, they owed it to it for some uh, historical uh, uh, kind of preservation or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's more, a lot more interesting titles back there. Um, uh, Adventures of Takla Makin, if I'm pronouncing that right, is a Toho fantasy movie that a lot of people know about Lost World of Sinbad, but that was kind of the follow-up, right? I did go to the trouble to hunt that down on Amazon Japan and buy it, and I'm glad I did. It was, uh, yeah. um, actually, it's, it's basically the same movie. It's even got, uh... Hideo Amamoto in the same granny makeup. Basically, <laughs> really? it's basically the same characters, same storyline, everything. I I don't know why they didn't just make it a sequel. Yeah. And furthermore, I don't know why AIP didn't buy it and you know release it as you know the next Lost World of Sinbad. Yeah. But, oh well. That one has a fan sub out there too. I think. Lost. Okay. Yeah. And I actually have the the American version of that. I've seen that, but no, I, I mean the other one. Yeah. Oh, really? Ta Takuma Khan has a fan Yeah, yeah. yeah from, oh, okay. from, if my memory is not failing, oh, okay. I'll, I'll have to check on that and get back to you. But, uh, but yeah, the, the U.S. version of Lost World of Sinbad is... I mean, they, they just pretended it was a Sinbad movie. <laughs> I love it. I love that they did that. I mean, it, it's kind of dumb, but like 60, 50 years later, though, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I haven't actually seen the AIP version. Do they actually change his name to Sinbad? They do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's no funnier than how we always had white guys playing Sinbad in our movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, 
uh, Matt, did you have any other? Uh, I just want to ask because I've been blabbing a lot. Uh, you have any other kind of key titles you wanted to talk about at all? Man, we've done. Uh, I mean, we, we kind of hit on everything. We've covered I do. a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like Goke, we talked about, which is awesome. Um, I have not sat through Sign Heart Jupiter yet, but I hear. Oh man, it's uh, an experience. It's uh, <laughs> it's something. I, I like it. I mean, Matt, I mean, if you like Submersion of Japan, it sounds like to me you like depressing disaster movies like me. <laughs> yeah, and, oh my I gosh. definitely do. Yeah. Sayonara Jupiter is like overkill as far as like the depressing aspect goes. It's so depressing it almost becomes comical. It, just imagine <laughs> a, someone making a Komatsu story like Submersion of Japan, but like it was made by someone that doesn't understand how to like... Make, make a, a movie. movie. <laughs> unless well, it was made by Komatsu. It was well, made yeah. by Komatsu himself, and that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess. Unless right you're Kawakita. So we, we, we covered this actually on one of our previous episodes, but like you mentioned uh Swords of the Space Arc as being a compilation uh, from Message in Space from the from the uh the television series, which I thought was a pretty pretty cool mention. Um man, I Japan and they're like they're gonna take a tokusatsu series and then chop it up and make it into a, a movie it's that movie is uh also an experience i'm not seeing my jacket uh, have you seen that bird uh i've seen the mystery science theater version which is awesome uh, yeah i heard that that one's actually pretty good i mean you guys have kind of covered a lot of the other stuff that i would have honestly mentioned mystery science theater also did time of the apes and the two um fugitive alien movies so they did a bunch of those like subaraya tv compilations I think most of those, I'm not sure what the Mystery Science Theater stuff is like as far as availability goes, but um, I don't know if they're still in print, but a lot of those are either on the Shout Factory streaming or you can find them. But that's how I saw a lot of those. I think, like, that's the only legit release, like, Mighty Jack ever got. Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, sort of the space arc is especially bad. It, it, that sort of the space arc scared me away from checking out the series because I know um, Discotech is putting out the whole series. The message. Oh, I didn't space. know that. Yeah, it was just they announced it. Ah. Con, they announced it at. Uh, oh, that's Comic-Con. awesome. Yeah, they're doing okay. that. Um, the full message from space series and uh, just beyond and the giant robo anime. They announced like a hundred things. Yeah. Just beyond. I definitely want to see. Also, I love this title. It's just hilarious. Lusty transparent man. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we'll ever see that one be released, but did you get a chance to watch lusty transparent man? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, That's unfortunate. Um, okay. So yeah, let's do our, our, uh, I want to, so if you could uh, snap your fingers and, uh, or, or let's say Criterion calls us, because of course they would, um, and they ask, <laughs> <laughs> they ask each of us to choose uh, one of these rare titles to put out in a awesome uh, wide release Blu-ray, uh, what one would you go with, Matt? Uh, it's probably a toss-up between Last War and Submersion of Japan. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to go ahead with The Last War. Um, I love that movie, uh, and it's depressingly, uh, all these years later, it is still very relevant. Um, 
I think the obvious one for them that would fit in the most with their uh, re- the stuff they've released in the past is the Whale God. But um, yeah, I'm going to go with the the Last War, uh, John. Which of these, if you had to pick one, would you like to see in a spectacular, shiny, sparkly new Blu-ray? I concur with you that the Whale God is probably what they would pick and kind of what deserves it. But me, selfishly, I would want uh, Submersion of Japan just because I really love that movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, did, have you seen Tidal Wave? It's uh, You have a little part about it back here, but that's the Americanization. No, I just acquired it uh, from my my friend Ted Johnson, and so I'm going to watch that before too long. And yeah. that's actually my next project is to do comparisons, like detailed comparisons, like they used to do in G Fan and Kaiju Fan, of the difference between like the the American version of Submersion of Japan as Tidal Wave and just you know basically the the same type of thing. Yeah, that's one where like if you're an American distributor, I can. Not saying I agree with the approach necessarily, but I mean, it was bought by Roger Corman's company. And I mean, if you're like, okay, I just bought this title and I want to put it in wide release, like that movie is so Japanese that you almost have to do that. <laughs> but then again, what it's going to suffer from is that it's going to be like any of the other generic disaster movies that were coming out like every day back then. <laughs> Um, so I gotta ask, uh, and I mentioned, I mean, I've mentioned a few titles to you, um, we mentioned Kaneko's Pyrokinesis, but, um, was there a, did you set a, a, a particular, like, cutoff date for, um, the stuff you wanted to cover? Because I noticed that it doesn't really go much past the 80s. Yeah, I felt like there was a lot of stuff past that that I just wasn't as interested in, you know, the history and just in general. Um, I don't know, I felt like the sh- kind of the shower period was a good place to cut it off. Yeah, and I well, I think a lot of that too is um, that's, that's when a lot of these studios started, everything was like a big budget co-production or like a, you know, it didn't have the same... Um, you know, if you looked at a Toho title from that era, you know, it's the same technicians or writers or directors. And, um, like, I mean, I, I mentioned Pyrokinesis, and I know I talked to you a little bit about, um, it was an 80s title, but still, um, there was also the Kaneko uh, vampire movie. So there's, like, there's a few things here and there. But, yeah, I, I think that after the 80s, um, you know, it just, it just seemed like... Uh, that farm system wasn't really in place with a lot of these studios. Yeah. And that was Kevin Derendorf. And I talked to actually, he was my, my springboard. I'd, I'd kind of ask him about that. Like, Hey, do you think, when, when do you think I should cut it off? And, and we both kind of agreed the shower period was, was a good place to do it. And one script I came like very close to including was, um, the script for Gundam, the movie. But the reason why I didn't is when I started reading the script, I learned that they supersized the Gundam robots to like Heisei era monster sizes. So I decided, well, that could technically go <laughs> in the giant monster book, you know, because of how, how big they made the robots for the uh, the unproduced film. So well, I had no idea they made a, a Gundam or they had a Gundam script with 100 meter Gundam suit. Yeah, uh, and it was an American script, too. It was going to be an American film, if I remember that right. So Yeah, well, then now we're actually going to get that in a few years, it looks like. Um, 
but yeah, uh, I, I no, I think that was a good cutoff point. I mean, with a few with the the few exceptions notwithstanding, I think uh, you know the the after after that period, it gets a little bit less interesting. Um, and I mean, hey, if you ever want to do more, there, that means you have an easy uh, volume two on your hands. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, I know you're working on. Some like you're working on a whole bunch of books right now. So, um, you just said you were working on one that would be, you know, comparing the American and Japanese versions. Um, and you mentioned Submersion of Japan. So, we'll talk about talk a little bit about about what's coming up and about that. Is that going to be more just inclusive of all of just Japanese sci-fi, or um, it doesn't sound like you're going to do exclusively the kaiju stuff? No, you know, I've I've finally quit worrying about the titles and and how the title ties into the book. So, one of the next books I'm going to do is going to be called Writing Japanese Monsters. You know, as in writing the scripts. And it's not even though it's called Writing Japanese Monsters, it's definitely going to include the script development process for things like Submersion of Japan, mm-hmm. The Last War. Um, just be, so what was happening was I was working on a revised second edition of the lost films and I was really getting into these altern alternative concepts of the films that do exist. Like, um, like I was reading about Ghidorah, the three headed monster, um, before they created the character of princess Salno and the, the, you know, the, the spirit from Venus possesses her. The original idea was that Shinda was going to be chasing a drug dealer and the drug dealer gets possessed by the spirit of the alien, and and it's this this drug dealer who would prophesy about, you know, King Ghidorah and all that. So it was like, you know, it's not really a lost film. It's more like just, you know, a de- you know the developmental process. So yeah, I'll, I'll have a book coming out on the de- developmental process of these movies, and then a, a book I'm doing side by side with it. Um, I think I'm going to call it editing Japanese monsters. And it's going to be just comparisons, not just between the uh, the Japanese and the U.S. cuts, but let's say the Japanese and the German cut, the Japanese and the Champion Festival cut. You know, just comparing different versions of these movies, kind of like like I said, G fan and Kaiju fan used to do. Well, yeah, well, the, the, yeah, because then you can talk about like in Germany, all the monsters were created by Doctor Frankenstein for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, that's two <laughs> writing Japanese monsters and editing Japanese monsters. Uh, okay, so that's two. Um, and then uh, you are also doing the Lost King Kong films, correct? That's right. I'm going to call it Kong Unmade, the Lost Films of Skull Island, and there's a lot more material out there than I thought. There is, as Matt far and as I, Lost King Kong Yeah, movies. Matt and I have covered, talked about a few of them, but uh, it, there really is. Now, are you going to be covering Kong-adjacent stuff? Like, uh, like, I think at one point there was a Mighty Joe Young meets Tarzan, and then... Uh... Definitely, yeah, I've, okay. I've definitely got that in there. Okay. Um, cool, because, yeah, that's a whole other... And then, when you get into stuff like, uh... I think I mentioned this to you. There was the, uh... That unli- there was, like, the unlicensed, uh... Kong musical that came straight to video in the 90s. Uh, the Bangladesh King Kong. 
which <laughs> I don't know if you've found yet or are, if, if you're you willing not, to. There's a trailer for it that's like three and a half minutes long, and I it's unbelievable. <laughs> well, there's the whole, a lot the whole, of those. The whole thing's like three yeah. hours long. Yeah, I don't think I can, that stuff. No. Oh, here's what I did though. Like uh, there's a King Kong movie. It's not it's called King Kong sometimes, but sometimes they call it some other name from India from nineteen like sixty two or sixty five. It's uh and, is it Shikari? I don't know. Yes, I'm, Shikari. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like like with Shikari, I didn't watch the whole movie, but I just watched the quote unquote King Kong scenes to see how they kind of fared. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't think I can sacrifice that many hours of my life for yeah. some of these movies. They're well, really ju- horrible. Ju- just watch, yeah. just watch like the three minute Bangalore yeah. King Kong uh, trailer, <laughs> okay. and then you know you can put that in your honorable honorable mentions or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but what's funny, you know, we're talking about the developmental process and how this King Kong book came about. Was I was going to do. It wasn't going to be about the lost films of King Kong. It was just going to be a, a guide and review book on giant ape movies. And as I really delved into it, I decided, you know, it would really be more interesting to do a, a King Kong lost films book. And so that's what it turned into. But I'm going to have an appendix um, for, you know, the King Kong ripoff movies like Ape um, or like White Pongo, which was another one that was really hard to sit through. Yeah, um, I was going to ask, is that going to be kind of like this book where you'll have a section for the, the stuff that does exist? Yeah, definitely. And there was, uh, there was a few that are out that are kind of hard. The, uh, I think it's the Abominable. Um, it's got a white... I think, was it Ice <laughs> Kong? Yeah, in Japan they called yeah, it yeah, Ice there's Kong. Yeah, like, there's that one. Um, like the Asylum did their version uh around like the time the peter jackson movie there's all kinds of stuff yeah there's a that all one i really dread but i'll probably watch <laughs> it there's uh yeah no that's that's gonna be another one that uh i'm looking forward to so so that's what i think three books that you're actively working on like at the same time is there a timetable for when this stuff you're planning to have this stuff out so the King Kong book is basically done aside from me watching some of those movies I really don't want to watch, like King of the Lost World and just getting that over with. But the meat of the book, like the lost films themselves, those have all been researched. Um, I think I've got like 280 pages or something like that of the book done. And then I'm just kind of waiting on some uh, supplementary material, like like you had some homework, I believe, Yes. for the book. <laughs> Yes. Sir. Yeah, and uh, oh, it's really cool. I don't want to mention his name, but um, just in case something happens, but uh, there was a canceled King Kong uh, animated TV series from the 1980s, and uh, one of the guys who basically wrote the series bible for this uh, canceled King Kong uh, animated series, he's going to write something for me. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um, are you going to get into like, uh, well, like the, the King Kong, uh, series from the sixties, um, or like the, there was also the one in the nineties and the the one that's on Netflix now, but is from what I understand, those are kind of unlicensed knockoff things. That's the beauty of King Kong is you can use the name Kong. You just can't (laughs) use the name King Kong right? and you can get away with whatever you want. Apparently. 
uh, which is why this book will probably have more pictures than my other books too, which is also nice. But but yeah, to answer your question, definitely going to cover um, the King Kong show from the 1960s and stuff like that. But it would be more like an, a, an appendix mm-hmm. entry since it's not really yeah. lost content. Yeah, like I yeah, I mean uh, the other two animated series you can do with or without. But yeah, the King Kong show is pretty relevant for lots of reasons. Um, Okay, but no, that's uh, that's exciting stuff, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, you do a lot of the work that everyone else is too lazy to do, so thank you. <laughs> Listen, man, uh, next time you come on, maybe we'll finally do Legend of the Dinosaur Monster Birds, all right? Okay. That's all gonna right. Well, you guys, you guys <laughs> promised on the last podcast, so like, there's, there's a record of it out there. This is true. <laughs> We that, said we were going to do it. That was also before you dropped another book on the unsuspecting public. Yeah. Though. I mean, I'll probably, like you said, I've got three more books, so we've probably got three more podcasts before we can get to the, the commentary. So, <laughs> so five safe. years from now, yeah, we're going to finally get around to doing that. Um, no, I mean your stuff is always fun to read. I mean, this one's a nice, quick, breezy read. Um, I recommend it, and uh, I think. Uh, you said last time Amazon is is the best place to for people to pick this up. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the only place actually. But the yeah, Barnes and Noble might have it on their site too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazon's the best. All right. No. Uh, I mean, uh, if we can help you sell even one copy of this book, our job is done. Uh, although you probably like us to help you sell like 600 of them or something but hey i I just i just enjoy talking to you guys so i mean hey oh no no it's always fun uh yeah we had a good time at g fest uh it's always always fun to to shoot the breeze you have one of my favorite you're part of my one of my favorite stories from g fest john i just want you to know (laughs) oh yeah okay yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, let's not talk about that. But yeah, that was, that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. And we're not even talking about diaper gate. Talking about something else. <laughs> right. Oh man, yeah, that was that was my favorite. One of my favorite stories about Jesus. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But no, John, thanks for coming on. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited for um, your next uh, round of books, and I'm sure we'll have you back. And we're definitely going to have you for uh, Legend of Dinosaurs. So. Okay. All, All right. right. It's on record. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. <Yeah. laughs>